scripture passage today is from the book of Genesis, and we're continuing to look at how God has, in throughout history, forged His people Israel, and in the same way how He continues to forge and make us as His people. And this today, today is a part of the story of Joseph. Now what I'm going to read you today is kind of right in the middle, or kind of actually at the end of a real long story, and we'll put it in context later. Uh, but for now, Joseph, this is Genesis 45, verses 4 to 15. Before we read this, let us pause for a moment in prayer. Good and merciful Father, Lord, we thank you for all the gifts you have given us, Lord, and for the guidance you have given us, Lord, the kind that we need so much. For we are people who have gone astray. And Lord, even our minds and our souls themselves, Lord, uh, will fail to see the truth unless you show it to us. So as we come to your word today, Father, I pray that you would illuminate us. That the same spirit that inspired these words would inspire our hearts again. That we could hear, that we can read and understand your good and perfect will for us. Father, bless these words that we are reading today, Lord. These holy words of your holy scripture. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is Genesis chapter 45, verses 4 to 15. Listen now to the word of the Lord. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me. You and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt, and of all that you have seen. Hurry, and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. daddy's hands how they held my mama tight 
and patted my back. Something's unright. There are things that I've forgotten that I've loved about the man, but I'll always remember the loving daddy's hands. Daddy's hands were soft and kind when I was crying. Daddy's hands were hard as steel when I'd done wrong. Daddy's hands weren't always gentle, but I've come to understand. There just to keep us all fed. If I could do things over, I'd live my life again. I never take for granted the love in daddy's hands. Daddy's hands, soft and kind when I was crying. you for that. What a wonderful song that was. Now, as some of you already know, uh, before I was a pastor, I was a chaplain. Uh, for about 10 years, I served as a chaplain, mostly at uh, a hospice. Now, before you can be a chaplain, they put you in this program called Clinical Pastoral Education, and we called it CPE for short. And this uh, process was to teach you how to be a chaplain. Like I said, they, they, what they'd do is they'd put you in a clinical setting, usually a hospital, and they would tell you to go visit patients. They'd give you a little floor, and it was your job to go visit the patients and to come in and to talk to them about how their illness has affected their spiritual well-being and how they can use their spirituality and faith uh, to get them through this difficult time. Now, that was just half the process. The other half of the process was meeting in groups 
and for us to unpack some of our own psycho-spiritual mess. And we all had mess that we brought. And we all had our issues to discuss. And, you know, sometimes it was very difficult. Sometimes it was great. But there were through it a lot of lessons that I got out of life. Some wonderful lessons that I can apply to everyday life. And one of the most important of those lessons that I got from this process was something we used to say over and over again to us, especially when it got tough. And that is, trust the process. Trust the process. You're not going to understand everything that happens while you're in the moment. But this process, it was a, a tried and true process. It's been around for many years. Trust your supervisors. Trust your process. Trust what's going on in your life. And at one point, you'll come to realize that what we did was good. And they were right. It was a great process. But you had to, at some point, let go and trust what was happening. And that's one of the most profound lessons that I've learned in life that we need to do is sometimes let go and trust the process. Now, y'all might be thinking, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for CPE. What process do I have to trust? Well, you've got to trust what I call the process. That's what I'm telling. That was the lesson to trust. Not the CPE process necessarily. You need to trust the process. I'm talking about the big program. Do you not remember signing up for a big program? Well, you were signed up for a big program. In fact, you were registered and signed up for this program the moment you were born. You might even say you were signed up for this program the moment you were conceived. Or some people go so far as to say you were signed up for this program before God laid the foundations of the earth. You were predestined for this program. Of course, the program I'm talking about is life. That's the big program. That's the process that we have to learn to trust. Trust the process that God has put you in. Because he is the author of life. He is the giver of life. And to trust him is to trust this process that he's put us in. When I'm talking about trusting life, I'm talking about this whole process, everything that life entails, everything. Being born, growing up, going to school, getting older, maturing, learning, getting married, going to work, having a job, having kids. Getting older, all that stuff that life entails. But there's more. There's more to this process because we're not just told just to go out and live life. God has given us a very specific way to live life. We're allowed to go out and pursue our vision, to pursue our dreams, to pursue many of our desires in life, but, but he's given us a way of doing it. He's giving us a specific way of living life. We can't live any way we want. We can't live on our terms. We can't live on the terms of the world. We live life as God has taught us to live. And that is the process. All of life plus God's will for you. Living life on God's terms. Living life His way. And what I mean by that is all that God has commanded us to do. All that he has instructed us to do is how to live life, how to work through the process of life. 
That means as we live, as we work, as we eat and go to sleep and have kids and do all those things that life entails, we do it in His way by His commands. That means first loving Him with our whole heart, whole mind, and whole soul. That's the first and greatest command. Love God. Honor Him. Respect Him as God and the only God that there is. Make Him the one God of your life and seek Him out every single day. The process is also all those things he commanded us to do. Do not steal. Do not murder. Love your neighbor. Work hard. Live a life of integrity. Be kind. Be generous. Forgive one another as God has forgiven you. That's the process. Living life, but living life the way God has taught us and instructed us to live our lives as you go out and follow your vision as you go and do your thing embrace every moment of life live it all live it to the fullest but live in God's way that's the process and it doesn't always work great because sometimes living God's like God's living life God's way is not very comfortable it's not very convenient and we don't always get what we want that is a key part, an indispensable part of becoming God's people and how God makes people is we trust the process. Trust the process God has put us in and live life His way. Trust what God is doing in your life, especially when it doesn't make sense. Even when it doesn't make sense, most especially when the process doesn't make sense. That's when we need to trust him the most. Now, I can think of no other story that illustrates this principle better than the story of Joseph. I read a little snapshot of it today, and it was taken out of context. But Joseph's story in his life illustrates perfectly how we need to trust the process of God and live it his way no matter what's happening to us. Some of y'all might remember this. You might remember it from Sunday school when you were kids, or hopefully you read it later as an adult, but it is a story that is, bears repeating. Because like I said, it really illustrates this idea that we need to trust the process. So if y'all remember, Joseph was the youngest son, at least for a little while, the youngest son of Jacob. Jacob is the man we talked about last week, the one that wrestled with God. And Joseph, being the youngest son, he was also his father's favorite. And his father doted on Joseph. And he doted on him and he loved him and he lavished gifts upon him. And one day he gave him this coat. He said it was a coat of many colors. And he gave it to him and none of his other brothers. Now, as you can expect, his brothers weren't happy about this. This did not endear him to his brothers at all that Joseph was the favorite and he seemed to get everything. And Joseph didn't help matters in that he was having dreams of his greatness and he would share these dreams with his brothers. I'll tell you, one dream, for example, he had. He said, I was dreaming that we were out cutting wheat. And we were all binding our sheaves of wheat. And we all had our sheaves of wheat out. And mine was in the middle and yours were all around me. And your wheat bowed down to my wheat. And his brothers, they were offended. They were like, what? Are you saying we're going to bow down to you? You, the youngest brother, we're going to serve you? Is that what you're saying? So you can see Joseph didn't help the matter. He kind of stoked the jealousy and the sibling rivalry. 
Now, his brothers, you can understand, were upset, but they kind of overreacted to it. Okay, one day they were out keeping the flocks, and Joseph went to go visit his brothers, and his brothers saw him coming from afar, and they said, well, there's the dreamer now. I say we put this guy in his place. How about we kill him, right? That, that's an appropriate response, right, to sibling rivalry. We're going to kill our brother. Now, one of the brothers, Reuben, he said, listen, how about, how about we just beat him up, okay? Let's just rough him up a little bit, teach him a lesson. So his brothers, they attacked Joseph, they beat him up, and they threw him in a pit. Now, the brother Reuben was going to come back later and fish Joseph out. But before he could do that, his brother saw a slave caravan coming by. And they said, hey, I got an idea. Why are we just going to beat our brother up? Why don't we make some money off of it to boot? Let's sell our brother into slavery. And so these slave drivers came by, they fished Joseph out, and they sold him into slavery. And they ripped up his coat of many colors, and they doused it with blood. They brought it to their father. Dad, sorry, your favorite's dead. We got torn apart by wild animals. Now, if there is any point, any time that you could doubt the process, you got to think this would be a good time to doubt it. Right? God, you gave me this dream. You've led me by this vision. You said you're going to bless me, but I'm a slave now. I've been beat up by my brothers. I was tossed into a pit, and now I'm sold to slavery. God, there's something wrong with your process. It's not working for me. This is not working right. This is not supposed to be how it goes. And who can blame him? I mean, who can blame him? How would you feel in that situation? It can be very natural, very human to start to doubt the process of God at that very moment. But Joseph didn't do that. He trusted the process. He trusted the process and he stayed faithful to God and he stayed faithful to his virtue and to all of God's commands. And he was sold into slavery and he was bought by a, name, uh, a guy named Potiphar. And so being still faithful... And being the good man that he was and trusting God, Joseph worked hard as a slave. Even though he, he was a slave, he put all his effort into it. He worked hard. He was industrious. And Potiphar saw that, that God's blessing rested with Joseph. Whatever he did prospered. And he made Potiphar a lot of money. And Potiphar put him in a position of great authority. So things are starting to turn around. Well, here's where the bottom fell out. Okay, He was working with Potiphar. And what, you know, as it happened, Potiphar's wife took a little shine to Joseph. And she wanted Joseph for herself. And so she tried to seduce him. And she kept coming to Joseph. Hey, Joseph, my husband's away. Why don't you come with me? And Joseph, he was still living God's way, okay? He was like, no, God's way. You don't mess with another man's wife. Thank you, but no thank you. And he kept rebuffing her advances. And the more he pushed her away, the more she desired him. And, and her advances got more and more aggressive. Until one day, to get away from her, Joseph had to rip his own cloak off. And she tore his cloak off as he ran away from her. Now, there's an old saying, hell hath no fury like that of woman scorned. And that proverb was proven very true. Potiphar's wife did not like being rebuffed and humiliated by Joseph, so she took the cloak and went to her husband and said, hey, that guy you trust, that slave, he just tried to, he just tried to attack me. And I had to fight him off. Look, here is his cloak. So then Potiphar, obviously upset and expectedly so, throws Joseph into prison. 
Now, here's the point where you should really doubt the process. I mean, not only was Joseph a slave, not only was he in prison, he was in slave jail. It doesn't get lower than slave jail. I mean, you could say slave is the lowest you can get, but no, you can get to slave jail. I don't know how you get lower than slave jail, and that's where Joseph was. And nobody would blame him if he would have said, God, your process isn't working. This isn't working. I'm trying to do right. In fact, if I decided to follow up to the ways of the world and just slept with Potiphar's wife, I probably wouldn't be in this situation. But instead, I did it your way. And look at me now. I'm in slave jail. But Joseph didn't do that. He trusted the process. And he continued to trust God even when he was in slave jail. And he still did right and he still did what he's supposed to and he worked hard and he did so well that the, the, the leader of the prisons decided to put Joseph in charge of other prisoners because he saw the blessing of God was upon him. And after a few years of being in prison, two prisoners come in, the Pharaoh's baker and the Pharaoh's cupbearer. And they've both been accused by Pharaoh of things. And, and as they're in prison, they have a dream. Both, they both have a dream one night. And they're very disturbed by the dream. And they say, we, they, we, we don't know. This is a terrible dream. We want someone to interpret it for us. And Joseph listens to the dream. And he gives them the interpretation. He says to the baker, the baker, I'm sorry, your dream's not good. Your head's going to get chopped off. Sorry, bad dream. To the cupbearer, he says, got better news for you. You're going to get pardoned and you're going to be restored to your position. And what do you know? A few days later, it happens just like Joseph said. The cupbearer gets released from prison. He's the Pharaoh's cupbearer again. Baker, eh, not so good. He got his head chopped off. So fast forward a few years. Joseph is still being faithful. He's still trusting God. He's still trusting the process that God has put him in. And now Pharaoh has a dream. Pharaoh has a dream and he wakes up in a cold sweat. It's disturbed him so much. It's one of those dreams where you wake up and it cut him to the depths of his bones. And he said, everybody, listen, I had this awful dream. Someone's got to tell me what it means, okay? I was standing on the banks of the Nile and there were seven fat cows feeding on the Nile. And then all of a sudden, out of the Nile come seven skinny, emaciated cows. And these skinny cows went up and they ate the seven fat cows but they were just as skinny as they were before. And he says, and I woke up in his cold sweat. I don't know what's happening. Someone tell me what this dream means. And he gathered his wise men and his magi and his sages and all the smartest people of the kingdom, and they were all stumped. Nobody knew what the dream meant. And finally, the cupbearer hears the dream, and he says, you know what, Pharaoh? When I was in jail, when you threw me in jail, not my fault. We're not going to talk about that. But when you threw me in jail, Pharaoh... I met this guy here, and I had a dream that I would be, and, and he interpreted it for me, and it ended up being true. And I can tell the Spirit of the Lord is upon him, and the wisdom of God is with him. You should bring him in. So Pharaoh releases Joseph. He goes before the Pharaoh, and he says, this is my dream. What does it mean? And, and, and Joseph says, only the interpretation belongs to God. Only God can tell us this, but he has let me know what this dream means. And he says, those seven fat cows are seven years of plenty. And the seven lean cows are seven years of famine. And we're going to have seven great years where there's going to be tons of food. And we're going to have everything we want. But it's going to be followed by seven lean years. And they're going to eat up everything in a hurry. 
But God is telling you, he gave you this dream, Pharaoh, because you're our leader. Get ready. In the seven years, store up, save up, so when the famine comes, we can survive. And Pharaoh was so impressed by this, he put Joseph in charge of this whole program. So for seven years, they gather food. For seven years, there's this huge harvest. They got more food than they've ever had. And they keep saving it up. And Joseph is in charge of, of getting the food in and organizing it, putting it in granaries and storing it for the years of famine. And Pharaoh was so impressed with them that he puts Joseph in charge of the whole kingdom. And so now Joseph is Pharaoh's right-hand man. He even says, I have become a father to Pharaoh. Now the famine is, is awful to the whole land. And over there in Israel, where Joseph's brothers were just living their life, completely forgotten about their brother, the famine hits there too. And they get hungry. And they're having a hard time. And they've heard, there's plenty of food in Egypt. Let's go to Egypt and buy something to eat. So his brothers go down to Egypt, and wouldn't you know it, they try to buy grain from Joseph. Now years have passed, and they have forgotten Joseph completely. They don't even recognize their brother anymore, but Joseph recognizes them. And now there's a lot of back and forth that happens, but Joseph eventually reveals himself, reveals himself to his brothers. And he gives them forgiveness for what, he, what they did, and this is what he tells them. And this is from our passage here today. At verse 5, he says, Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Do you hear that? God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in these land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And here it is again. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. Once again, so it was not you who sent me here in verse 8, but God. It was God who sent me here. He made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. He tells his brothers, it wasn't you. It wasn't you. You meant evil for this. You meant to do something evil to me, but God was in charge of it the whole time. It was God who sent me here. And because of this, not only are thousands and thousands of people saved, but I have been blessed incredibly and have been made the ruler over all of Egypt. You see, from a human perspective, God was just letting awful things happen to Joseph. God was letting these just indecipherable, ununderstandable things happen to Joseph. But from God's perspective, he was saving thousands. He was blessing Joseph incredibly. If we're going to be God's people, we have to trust what he's doing in our life. If we're going to be God's people, we have to trust what he asks us to do with our life. We have to trust the process that he's put us in. And, oh man, it's easy to trust it when it's going well. I mean, it's so easy to trust it when, when, when we're feeling happy, when the wife's happy, when we're making lots of money, when we're healthy. When everything seems great, we're like, oh, oh, oh yeah, this is a good process. I like it. God, you know what you're doing. 
Man, you have got it all worked out. I see your plan perfect. Perfect. When it's not going so great, that's when it's hard to trust the process. When we're not happy, when your marriage is on the rocks, when you're, having, when you're struggling financially, when you're having health problems, when you might be having mental health problems. Who knows? That's when we say, God, you know what? I'm not sure about this process you've got me in. I'm not sure it's working out so well. Do you really know what you're doing with my life? Those are the times where it is most important to trust the process when we understand it the least. When it seems like life is nothing but one big mess, that is when we need to trust Him the most because that is when He's doing the most work in our life. You know, if you were to come to my house and see my kitchen's a mess, I'm not talking about because my wife's out of town. I'm talking about like a real mess, like the cabinets are torn down, the, the floors are getting torn up, and the walls are scraped down. You'd probably look in there and you'd say, that's where you're doing the work. That's where you're doing the work. You follow the mess, and that's where the work's happening. And the same is true in life. Where's the mess? Where is the mess in your life? Because I bet that is where God is doing the work. One of my favorite quotes is a quote from Mark Twain. It's about his father. He said, when I was 18 years old, my dad was an idiot. He said, my dad was so dumb he didn't know anything. It was embarrassing how little he knew. He said, when I was 25, my dad was pretty smart. He knew a two or thing about life. He said, the old man sure didn't learn a lot in seven years. What he meant to say is, the older I get, the smarter my dad got. The older I got, the more I realized that dad knew what he was talking about. The same is true with our Heavenly Father. The more wisdom that I gain, the more experience I gain in life, the more perfect his plan seems to me. And the more I know, the more I'm amazed at what God is doing in life. And the more I just stand in wonder and awe at how he could do all of this and still remember a little speck on the earth like me and give me this beautiful process of developing me, of teaching me, and making me like him. When we were kids, we had to trust dad, right? We didn't have a choice. We were little, he was big. And it wasn't always easy, it was tough. But the older we got, we realized that dad knew what he was talking about. And as adults, it's all the same. We have to trust our heavenly father. It can be tough, it can be hard. It can be difficult to trust Him, especially when the times are the hardest. But as God's people, we have to trust Him. And that trust is nowhere as important as when His plan makes the least sense to us. That is when faith is called for. When we don't understand. Trust the process. 
Believe in what God is doing in your life and continue to live, not on your terms, not on the world's terms, but as He has instructed us. It might not make sense now, but it will one day. Trust in Him, trust in the process, and one day He will bless you tremendously. This just isn't my faith talking. This is our faith. This is the faith and the belief of the entire Christian witness. The trust that one day we will stand next to our Heavenly Father and we will see His hand over every moment of our life. The one day we will look back with Him at all the ups, at all the downs, at the tough times, at the hardest moments of our life and we will see that he knew what he was doing the whole time. That's what it means to be the people of God. Trust the process. To God be all the glory forever and ever. Amen.